Welcome to the Tread Lightly podcast. I'm co-host and running coach Laura of Laura Norris Running, and we are here today to help you train smarter. And I am coach Amanda Brooks. Last week, I was the world's leading expert on the middle of the pack. I think this week, I'm going to be the number one running coach for those starting over again after 40. <laughs> I don't know. I These are things I learned in journalism school. You can say you're the number one because... Really? Who's going to debate you? How can they prove it? I'll take it. And see, this is where coming from academia is different because you're like, I can't be the expert in anything. I'm not a first author on studies yet. Uh, the benefits of getting two different minds for this show. Yeah. Yeah. I did write a really in-depth paper in graduate school on race day nutrition for mountain bike and gravel races lasting over 100 miles. So <laughs> I that feel like I've never seen anything. Yeah, it was very targeted. Maybe I'm the expert in that, even though I don't really, really super live in the cycling racing world. It was what a 20 page paper was focused on. <laughs> That's fantastic. We have a whole new audience to reach. And that is so on topic because today we are, we're not going to talk about gravel bikers. We are going to talk about runners and race week nutrition. Yes, I'm very excited about this episode. And I just want to caveat here, like we are using evidence-based sources. We're not going to be citing them all throughout. We're using um, Jake and Drops and Gleason Sport Nutrition. We'll have a whole list of sources cited I spent 15 credit hours out of 30 on my master's degree on topics like this. There will be a whole list of sources. We just won't be citing them in the episode. So check the show notes. Perfect. And before we dive in, we have another listener question from Instagram. So this is at Indie Chi, Indie Chic Runs. Sorry, gang. We're always figuring out how to say it. She wants to know more about running paces during training versus racing. Why can you run so much faster on race day than you can in training? I think that's a great question to discuss today because A, it relates to our overall topic, but B, it's one that we just hear all the time constantly. How am I supposed to run this pace for my race if I haven't run that fast that far in training and it's this whole combination of factors. You're tapered and you've absorbed the training you've done. You probably have different nutrition that we're going to talk about in this episode. You might be in super shoes, but then there's just the excitement of a race. You're out there with other runners. You have spectators cheering you on, and that makes a huge, huge difference. The one trap I can see runners fall into is they get worried. They're like, how am I going to do this on race day? So they try to prove it to themselves in training, and then they leave their race and their training, and they fall short on race day. Yes, 100%. I, I think I have an article or something coming up about that, like not using your training to prove something, but to improve instead. And for sure, race day, there's all this adrenaline, and even if you're not a competitive person, Something in you comes out when there are a bunch of other people around you doing the same activity. Like one, it's just fun, but you also kind of start having this little, I wonder if I can catch that person up there. It's these little mind games that start to sort of kick in for you. And if you have been showing up and following your training plan consistently, 
you have a lot of fitness that has built up during training when, say, you're doing two miles at your goal pace and it feels a little hard. You have a lot of fatigue in your legs. And so you're running two miles with all that accumulated fatigue. Hopefully, now that you've tapered and you've fueled, your body is at like its peak point to feel fresh and now go hard without that extra fatigue in your legs. So it is it is a mind game, 100%. It will forever be a mind game because there's nothing in training that is 100% going to be what you're doing on race day. Um, so it's a lot of just putting trust in yourself to, to give it a shot. Absolutely. So I hope that answers your question um, to the listener. And of course, if you ever have any other questions that you want to hear listened at the start of these episodes, please send them over to us. So we're going to go into our discussion today on race week nutrition. This is a little bit different than our discussion on long run fueling. We're talking specifically about races, and this is covering all sorts of races. So 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, a little bit of ultra stuff in here. And I'm really excited for this. Um, You want to have a nutrition strategy for race week, for race day. It works. We'll even get into some data on how it works. But essentially, we're thinking about just making sure that you're prepared to express all that fitness that you work so hard in training by providing enough energy so that your metabolic system is functioning at 100% and also just giving your nervous system, your brain, the little bit extra boost so that you can put th- push through those mentally tough parts of a race really give your all in the event. Yeah. And I think one of the big things we tend to hear about, and there's a lot of confusion around, is carb loading. Does it actually work? How do you do it? What's involved? Um, and I think, like you said, the caveat I'll put here is that 5K and 10K don't have quite the carb loading needs as what we're going to talk about for the half and the full. So generally for 5K, 10K, like, and assuming those aren't just a regular run for you, but a true race, as long as at least 50% of your calories are coming from carbs, we've seen that that's probably going to be enough. You don't have to maybe go into any super extra planning. Absolutely. So the carb load becomes a concern when you're racing usually over an hour and a half, but maybe even over an hour, we're kind of discovering more and more that all these carbs really help. So if you're doing a half marathon, if you're doing a marathon, even I would, I would argue an ultra, I know some people dispute that for an ultra due to higher amounts of fat oxidation, you want to do a carb load. But we're going to like dive into what that actually looks like because I feel like there's a plethora of misinformation about with the carb load. So we're going to get a big myth about carb loading out of the way from the start. You do not need to deplete before your carb load. So the myth persisting is that you need to do a fat loading phase or a depletion phase or a really big hard workout so that you can store glycogen through supercompensation. That came about from studies way back in like the 1950s, things looking at people in the army, very early exercise science, sport nutrition era. We now know and we've known for about 20 plus years now that that is not necessary. You do not need to cause some sort of supercompensation effect. Throughout training, one of the adaptations that chronically happens 
in endurance training is that your glycogen stores get bigger, especially if you're doing enough endurance training and you're eating enough to support that, your body learns over time to store more and more glycogen long-term. So then when you get to the carb load, you are simultaneously backing off your training while eating more carbohydrates. And so your body isn't using all those carbohydrates because you're training less and you can store them and you have the ability to store them because of all that training you've done leading up. So other than tapering, you don't need to do anything special going into the carb load. You just start to carb load. I always think it's interesting because originally, like you said, this idea of carb loading came from these military studies. In those studies, they were people that had been like in concentration camps or prisoners of war. So they were insanely depleted or they had been in a specific training, like hardcore training for multiple weeks without any of these carbs. And then, yes, surprise, when they gave them a bunch of carbs, they performed better. So it's always one of those funny things where, like, where it started was kind of ridiculous. But now the actual data um, is showing us that it genuinely works when you do it the appropriate way. So what are we seeing in terms of improvements and how much should we be taking in to actually carb load? Yes. So one study that I think gives a really good idea of the practical improvements that you see was a 2009 study in the International Journal of Sports Medicine. This one used athletes in real life racing conditions. I believe it was the London Marathon. And the athletes who followed the carb loading protocols saw a 13.4% difference time in finish time compared to the athletes who did not follow the carb loading protocol. So we're not seeing this in a lab. We're seeing this in a marathon. And wow, 13.4% is a massive, massive distance. That's what a carb load can do for you. It's getting through your marathon feeling strong versus hitting the wall. What it realistically looks like for about two to three days before your marathon. So the day before, and then possibly one to two days before that, you increase your carbohydrate intake to eight to 10 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight. A kilogram is roughly 2.2 pounds. You can easily find conversions online. Featherstone Nutrition has a really helpful calculator to take the math out of that for you. It is a lot of carbohydrates. You'll probably see it be in the high 400s, 500s, maybe even low 600s. If it's brand new to you, I recommend always testing that before your biggest long run and training first. I think the most important point you said (laughs) there was two to three days. So I see a lot of folks that end up with like seven days of nothing but like crazy carbs. And it's two to three days, folks. We still need a lot of nutrition early in the week. And 100%, we cannot say enough, test this. it is going to feel different um, as you are taking all of that in and you need to know how that's going to feel and just what kind of foods you're going to be able to stomach and get enough in to get to such a high level. Absolutely. And most people end up decreasing their fat intake and bringing down their protein intake a little. We don't want to see that one go down too low, but usually just by necessity of the sheer volume, your fat intake goes down. So you're not necessarily like having huge calorie intake, although this will be a calorie surplus for most people. 
but it's just a lot of carbs. For a half marathon, sometimes you can get by with just one day of carb load, but for the marathoners, two to three days. Now, that's a lot. And you're probably like, oh my God, guys, how am I supposed to fit in that many carbohydrates even for two to three days? And there's a few carb loading errors to avoid that help you get in enough. So the biggest error I see is too much fiber. And this is bad for a couple reasons, or not bad, but less than optimal. So number one is carbs with a lot of fiber are called complex carbohydrates. And it's very basic biochem that complex carbohydrates have longer chains of all those molecules. They are slower for the body to digest, slower to break down. And so it's just slower for your body to turn them into glycogen to store in your muscles. So you want to choose simple carbs to make that breakdown process smoother. Complex carbs, like really high fiber things, also fill you up a lot. And then for all you runners concerned about bathroom stops in the marathon, if you bump up a lot of carbohydrate intake with very high fiber foods, you are fiber loading also, and you are going to have a lot of residual fiber in your GI tract going into the marathon and that is not going to be a pleasant experience, you will probably have GI distress. So cut back on the fiber. I know it's weird to not eat vegetables for a couple days, but it's it's worth it. The other mistake I see people make is actually eating too much sugar during this time. So they're like, oh, this is awesome. Carb load. I'm going to have cookies and Pop-Tarts and scones and all muffins and all these things. A lot of those foods are actually quite high fat. So you're having a couple things happening. You're actually not getting in as many pure carbs as you think you are. You're getting in a lot of fat, maybe not quite the carb levels, but then you're making your blood sugar spike up all crazy compared to what you're used to. And it's going to make you feel really, really weird. I had a coach that just did London and she could not find bagels. So she was going to town on croissants and not thinking about the volume of fat that croissants have. She was just thinking this is a carb. And the result was some pretty painful GI issues come race day. So that is, these are things to consider if you are traveling for your race. I legit put a thing of sourdough bread in my suitcase and took it with me because I was like, I know my body likes this. Um, So plan, especially if you are traveling. Absolutely. I always bring a like tube of bagels, plain bagels from Whole Foods, the ones I eat all the time with me in my bag to marathons. Um, so carb load is a lot of bland and boring foods then. Plain bread, plain pasta if you're used to eating it, plain white rice, applesauce, pretzels, graham crackers. You kind of eat like a toddler for a few days there. And then you're still probably like, well, yes, okay, so I'm eating these bagels, but that's like five bagels in a day plus the other food. So you want to spread it across meals and snacks in that day. You want to avoid putting too much into one big meal. Your GI system will kind of rebel against that. So usually think of having like a pre-run snack, breakfast, mid-morning snack, lunch, mid-afternoon snack, dinner, if you still come up short, a before-bed snack. You can also use liquid calories to help you get in the volume with or get in the carbohydrates without so much volume. So juice, sports drink, it will help you stay well hydrated and it makes it a lot easier to get all that in. 
I don't often recommend um, like a lot of the pre-made smoothies at the grocery store, but like the Naked Green Machine, mm-hmm. if you're feeling like I want some nutrients, it's like 40 grams of carbohydrates or something. So it's not generally a food that I would actually say put this on your nutrition list, but it can be a very good option for when you're carb loading and yes, often drink your calories at this point in time um, can be a really good rule. Um, Serena Marie, the dietitian that I often talk about, we create these rules like don't drink your calories, but that doesn't always apply when it comes to your sport nutrition. So you have to let go of some of those things if they may be holding you back from actually getting your peak performance. And yeah, important to know that It is very, very common that you're going to feel bloated from carb loading. So when you are eating more carbs, your body is storing more water. So it actually takes three grams of water for one gram of carbohydrate. So do not worry if the scale goes up. Do not worry if you just feel a little bloated. Where this becomes a problem for some of you is race morning. So because you feel like you have eaten a lot and you haven't been doing as many workouts, you don't always want to eat on race morning, but you have to. This is your last chance to top up your carbohydrates and make some quick, ready, available carbohydrates for your body. So once you start running, you don't want your body to have to work for energy. You want it to be as quickly available as possible. So race morning... We're still thinking about getting in a good amount. And now we're looking at like two to three hours before that half marathon, before that marathon. So you have a little more time to digest. And now we're thinking one to three grams of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight. Um, Super common, super like often easy to digest example is a plain bagel with jam and honey, a banana, maybe some scratch labs to drink. Um, If you can tolerate a little bit of fat, that can be nice um, because it will also just kind of slow things down in your system and can feel good. So I like to add in a tablespoon, two tablespoons of peanut butter. It also for me means that when I get halfway through the race, I'm not hungry because that fat for me was just a little longer lasting. Um, So again, things you should have been testing uh, before all of those long runs, but we're just thinking about low fat, low fiber, um, and making sure that you're drinking in that morning phase too. So we'll talk a little more hydration. So that's your breakfast. Then we want you to actually think about start line fueling. So Oftentimes we get in our breakfast, you maybe have to get on the bus, maybe you still take half your breakfast with you on the bus to eat more, but when you're actually at the start line, it's time to get some really quick carbs into your system. So can you take a gel or a honey stinger waffle if you just can't yet stomach a gel? Or I just did a 10K and so I took a bunch of Swedish fish with me and I ate those right at the start line. It's all the same. It is sugar. It is carbs. Whatever form is going to work for you, try starting to do that right at the start line so you have that immediate carb available in your system for your body to turn into energy. And I really like how you brought that up for the 10K even. 
because some of our listeners going through this now might have been like, oh, you're talking marathons. This doesn't apply to my 10K or 5K. But like Amanda said, that pre-run breakfast and that gel or equivalent before is something that will benefit you even in a shorter distance race. So let's dive in now into what not to eat before. We just talked about what to do. There are some things to avoid. This is general info if you have specific allergens or IBD, IBS, you might need extra considerations, but those are usually something best to discuss with a registered dietitian or a medical doctor. So generally, for most people, avoid foods that you know are personally irritating or triggering. So you might know that if you eat a bunch of cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower, maybe you feel a little gassy the next day. Or even if you're not allergic, maybe a ton of ice cream and dairy doesn't sit well with you. You probably know these things about yourself. Avoid those foods. Some runners find it helps to avoid spicy foods, especially if they're prone to acid reflux. And then in the 12 hours before, avoid really high fiber foods again. You don't want that hanging out in your GI tract. Um, So high fiber vegetables, lots of beans, unless you're super used to them. Fatty meats are another one. So save that burger for after the race, not the night before. You don't need to be trying to digest this high fat meal before a race. Alcohol is a big thing I see for some runners. They say, oh, having a drink helps me relax. I know I had like gone through a phase like that almost eight years ago. I was like, oh, one beer the day before my marathon won't hurt. But alcohol is a diuretic. It is dehydrating. And Maybe even if you don't notice it, it might make you feel a little off. It can disrupt sleep quality. I I would say just save it for after the race. I think the other one that we see so often is they'll be holding these big pasta dinners. And I know certainly when I started running, pasta was like the go-to recommendation the night before. Um, But I think you and I have both had the experience that oftentimes those pasta dinners are really high, high fat meals. Um, And that's maybe just not quite what we're looking for. Exactly. I personally eat a baked potato and like some chicken and a slice of bread or some white rice the night before to get in carbs, but not anything too crazy. I salt it up really well. What do you eat the night before? So I have gotten to the point where I really like if I can find salmon and sweet potato, that's like a winning combination for me. Um, I also just know from having done 8,000 long runs that if I have pizza the night before, I'm going to be fine. That has worked 8 million times over. So a lot of the times when we're traveling, I'm like... I will buy a frozen pizza even. Like, I don't want the super greasy, like, delivery. I need, like, it's very basic. It is some bread and has a little sauce on it. That's what you're getting. (laughs) Um, So it's just, I think you've got to know your body. And often that big pasta dinner, you have not been eating pasta before long runs in training. And so it's just maybe it sounds fun, but it may not be the prime choice. It is, like you said, bland, easy options or things that you have had a million times over. Exactly. So then do you want to talk about hydration with these races? Um, We talked a lot about food. Hydration is a big piece of this puzzle, though. A hundred percent. So episode 12, we talk all about electrolytes, 
please listen to that. Super useful. Um, you need to think about not just your food, but the fact that if you're going into any race or workout under hydrated, your performance risk is much higher. Like it's much more likely that you're going to struggle. Um, there's a variety of things happening in your body, but also you're more likely to have GI issues when you take in that gel if you are dehydrated and not taking in enough hydration because your gut needs hydration to work. So the morning of your race, I always wake up and I will do like some electrolytes in 16 to 20 ounces of water because it's easier to get myself to drink that than plain water, which is super normal. There's the sweetness, there's a little bit of sodium, so it's going to help you actually drink. So I know 20 ounces can sound like a lot, but hopefully that's over two to three hours. You've got plenty of time to get in that porta potty line. Um, the goal is sipping. So during the race and prior to the race, it's sipping rather than chugging. So chugging a sports drink, your gut may not love that sudden influx of the sugar. Chugging a bunch of plain water, you're going to maybe have that sloshing feeling. So just sipping it consistently um, and really thinking about how long is your race as well. So you're going to be sweating more. You're going to just need more hydration over a longer race. So starting topped up and then staying on top of it. Now, this topic might almost seem counter or contrary to that, um, but we're going to talk about caffeine. And it's worth noting right away that caffeine is not actually a diuretic like we once thought it was. So it's not going to necessarily count towards your hydration goals, but it's not going to be dehydrating you like we once thought. So caffeine is this amazing supplement for racing. It gives you a really big boost. I think I've seen two to four percent depending on genetics because there is a certain gene that affects your caffeine metabolism and how it you respond to it. However, for a lot of people, it is something that can give you that performance boost. You do want to test this out in training. So don't wait till race day to try the 100 milligram Morden caffeinated gels before or during. So the International Society of Sports Nutrition recommends three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight realistically, like let's say you're a 145 pound runner, that means you might have a cup of coffee before and then about 100 milligrams of caffeine during the race. It can be all in one dose or spread out. That's So it sounds like a lot, but when you begin to look at it over the course of the event, it's not a ton. You don't want to take every single gel as a caffeinated gel. What caffeine does is it blocks adenosine receptors in your brain. This lowers your pain perception, and this lowers your rate of perceived exertion. So you're able to keep pushing, giving more intensity, but it feels less hard. It doesn't hurt as much. There is also some benefit to how caffeine mobilizes the calcium ions in your muscles that contribute to muscle contraction. So it helps with that as you get fatigued, but most of it is the central nervous system stimulant. It takes 45 to 60 minutes for caffeine to peak in your system. So generally, you're timing your caffeine out based on when you want to really feel it. So let's say you're in a marathon and you want to really feel that caffeine at like mile 22, 23. Think about what mile you'll be at an hour prior to that. Take your caffeine then. Again, like I said, a lot of people like coffee before a race to help them feel good starting out. 
um, because it will stay in your system for a couple hours, but peaks at about 45 to 60 minutes after ingestion. Now, caffeine, again, doesn't work for everyone. So if you experience GI upset, jitters, anxiety, you might want to tweak your dosage, tweak the timing, or just accept that maybe you're not a responder to caffeine. So test it in training. Don't wait till race day. And that, but then if it works for you, definitely use it on race day. That's why so many gels and sports drinks have caffeine in them. hundred percent. So we've talked about what we're eating before. We're going to go just kind of quickly through during because we covered some of this in that fueling your long run. And it's very similar for during. But I think one of the biggest keys is simply that you actually have a plan for what you're going to do during the race. That makes a huge difference. You don't want to be trying to think about these things when you get tired and you're trying to manage your effort. A 2014 study by Hansen at Alia looked at runners in the Copenhagen Marathon and the marathoners who followed a strategy of taking 60 grams of carbs and 25 ounces of sodium-containing sport drink per hour finished an average of 10 minutes and 55 seconds, um, 4.7% that was, faster than their peers of equal ability in the 10K. So they matched people for fitness who didn't follow a fueling strategy. I would love to finish a marathon 11 minutes faster. Yeah, that's a huge amount of time. 25 ounces of water, I'm not going to lie. I would struggle with that, I think. Uh, I'm much better at sipping than drinking a whole lot during races. So that's something I guess I need to work on. Yeah. Well, and like hydration is very individual. If you go back and listen to that episode on electrolytes, we talk about some individual considerations. The gut can be trained to tolerate more fluid and that sloshing sensation. So it comes back to practicing it in training. But 60 grams of carbs, a lot of runners can do that if they build up to that. It's really cool because those carbohydrates, they both give you energy and there's oral receptors in your cheek that sends signals to your brain when you ingest the carbs. It says, hey, energy's coming. So it's an immediate central nervous system boost. Sometimes in short races, you can even get that boost if you just like swish a sports drink or take a small sip. You don't need a ton. But for races lasting like 60 to 90 minutes, take a gel. You might be like, oh, I don't need one, but it's going to help you. It's going to give you a boost. For the half marathon, if you're finishing under two hours, You want to aim for about 30 to 60 grams of carbs per hour. You can do more if you tolerate more. For the marathon, you want to think 60 to 90 grams of carbs per hour. That's a lot. But like, wow, the performance benefits of that. It's totally worth it to really hit a big PR. Yep. And if you're doing a marathon and maybe you're on the five hour plus kind of side of things, you may better tolerate some whole food style options. So if you're feeling like I cannot stomach seven gels, you may do fine with things like a nature's bakery fig bar or a granola bar um, that you take during one of your run walk breaks or something like that. So if you've been testing some of those during training and they felt good, those options do tend to work okay. Um, it tends to be when you're in whatever that 
three hour to four hour and your body is just working so hard, it's much harder to get the gut to digest anything. Um, So feel free to play with some of those ideas as well. And then we talked about this in the fueling episode as well, but liquid nutrition again is a great way to stay on top of this. It's certainly been something that was a game changer for me. So that counts in your carb goal. If you're using something with a high carb, um, you know, liquid drink, and that can help you with just staying hydrated too. So considering alternating the types of, you know, carbohydrates you're taking in to stay on top of it. So you're probably still listening to this and being like, okay, I get that I should be eating all this much, but won't I get GI distress? So we're both going to share some tips on mitigating concerns around GI distress, how you can do that. The number one tip, we've said this repeated already this episode, is to practice in training. Practice what you're taking, practice how much you're taking, practice caffeine, fluids, all of that. It's going to let you know what works for you and doesn't. And over the process of time, your gut does train to more efficiently transport out those carbohydrates from the gut into the bloodstream. And like we said, stay on top of your hydration. So even a 2% dehydration could contribute to your GI being upset. So sip that electrolyte drink, grab the water at the aid station, um, just help your body work through whatever you're putting into it. Um, thinking about what you're eating in that time leading up to the race. So avoiding the salads and the huge, you know, veggies that we love the rest of the year. At this point in time, it's about focused sport nutrition over like total health nutrition. For some athletes who are super sensitive, say you have IBS, IBD, or you just seem to have GI upset no matter what in a race, Sometimes very, very high amounts of fructose can trigger GI upset in sensitive runners. If you haven't had issues, you don't need to worry about this. Fructose is great in the sport nutrition products that are formulated for it. But if you're like, oh, I'm going to fuel and I'm going to take in a ton of like dried fruit, or if you're like, I've taken more than before, why won't it sit well with me in the marathon? It may be worth trying some alternative products. I have this issue, and I know for me, things like the scratch chews or the spring energy gels, things with lower amounts of fructose, tolerate better than the sport nutrition products that have the new formulations with tons and tons of fructose in them. So you might think about that. It's not a perfect guarantee. Talk with the sports RD. We do also know that race day nerves can mess with your GI some. So just working on being in control of your nerves. So it's okay to have some nerves about your race. You're excited. You can't wait to see what's going to happen, but don't let it kind of take over. So taking some deep breaths, chewing your food, slowing down, like, you know, let those things happen so that you aren't just creating this ball of tension and then your gut is, it's unhappy because it's so tense. Absolutely. That's a big one because a lot of runners really do work themselves up. And if you notice you have GI distress on race day and not in training, that might be your answer. I would also say, and this is my my opinion, but I would rather I would rather have GI distress than bonk. So bonking is a miserable experience. You slow down so much. Yes, GI distress sucks, but even if things begin to go a little south, I would say keep on fueling. I know it sucks. I know it's unpleasant, but 
sometimes GI issues resolve as you keep going, as you get some fluid down. Bonking once you're you've hit that wall, it's really really difficult to come out it of it. It is miserable. And that's actually the last tip I want to leave you with is not skipping your fuel just because it sounds gross, honestly. So you get later in the race and you've already had multiple gels and you are tired and fatigued and it does not sound good. Um, Take it anyways. So it will like part of taking it oftentimes will just help it to kick in. So then you start feeling better um, and can kind of keep moving through it. But like you said, once your body is running low on fuel, it's going to take a little bit for that to get in there. So don't skip it. You've got to just sort of muscle through, keep taking it. Think about that finish line. 100%. I personally like to vary the flavors of what I have to avoid palate fatigue Because sometimes it's like eating the same thing for three hours straight is what starts to sound unappealing. If you have different flavors of a gel that works for you, you're like, oh, I get my apple cinnamon one later in the race when I'm tired. And that's something that is exciting when you're that deep in a marathon. Yep. Any final tip you want to leave us with in terms of race day fueling? Because I know we're, we're running out of time on this episode. Go listen to this episode again from the start is the biggest tip I would have for people if you're like at the end here. Um, But no, seriously, there was a ton of information in this. I would say just keep trying. If it doesn't work in one race, try something different. Don't think, oh, it didn't work for me. Fueling just isn't for me. It might have been something, your products or your race day anxiety or gut training didn't work for you. Try again. Try something different. Don't give up. Ooh, yes, I have heard that so many times. Fueling just doesn't work for me. And it's just not true, folks. We've got the science to show you it will work. You've just got to try. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Tread Lightly. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere podcasts are. So make sure you are subscribed and don't miss an episode. Thank you all so much for listening and happy running.